0: Hey, Brian. Uh Uh-huh. You hear this?
1: Uh, no. Dead silent.
0: Yeah, I I greased up my microphone arm. I took some WD-40 to the joints here, and now it doesn't squeak like it's dying every time I move it around. Nice, right? Yeah. All these little background noises, like chairs rolling around, moving our
1: arms for the mics, like all of this stuff is meticulously cut out of the final edit. (laughs) So the more of that we can do up front, the better. Makes sense.
0: Prevention over treatment, Brian.
1: You too can prevent annoying podcast noises. And then it's an (laughs) ad for WD-40 with Smokey the Bear for some reason. Welcome to
0: episode 400 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode, the 400th episode. (laughs) (laughs) And we are trapped.
1: 400, Marshall. Nice round number. How are we going to celebrate today? By doing another quality episode, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, sticking to the playbook. We've got a great episode in store for the big 400. We have a very long outline. Let's get into it. First of all, thank you so much. To around for making this episode possible around is a video chat tool designed for collaboration not for meetings and they have this really really neat new feature that they previewed recently on their twitter called campfire mode and all the participants of a meeting gather around this little digital campfire and it's just delightful designers love it you will too check it out at around.co slash design details thanks around we also have some new vips some very important pixels Welcome to the fam, Yule Albert, Errol Mujak, Carlos Salazar, Tony Huh, Linus, Chris FM, and Christopher. Hopefully didn't screw those up too bad, but welcome to the fam, everybody. Be sure yeah. to grab your first sidebar this week. If you didn't know, we are a listener supported show, which means that you, yes, you, dear listener, Right now, Uh, people like you make this show possible for us to record every single week all the way up to where we are now, 400 episodes in. Coming up on seven years of recording this dang podcast, and it's all possible thanks to listeners like you. If you head to patreon.com slash design details, you can support the show starting for just a dollar a month. And in return, you get access to a weekly bonus segment called The Sidebar. Sidebar, Sidebar. The Sidebar is basically a second episode. It is a full extra segment. We answer an extra listener question, or we do uh, an event review. Last week, we covered Google I.O. Or, for example, today, we're going to talk about something a little tangential to design. We're going to talk all about money, how to make it, how to think about it, uh, especially as we see more and more designers making more and more money. Uh, It's important to think about how to use that money well. So we'll be talking about that in today's Sidebar. If that sounds interesting and you want to get access to all of this bonus content going forward, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash design details.
0: It's just a book of mine. It's just a book of mine.
1: <laughs> Sorry, all I didn't.
0: Right. Yeah, I guess I didn't jump in. Good list this week, Brian. You're going to have a good sidebar. But first, Brian, let's get into this main topic. All right. Today's main
1: topic comes to you from Graham Connell on Twitter. Graham tweets. Can software ever be finished? Most products these days get new features and keep evolving, but I can think of several examples where continual change isn't always good or necessary. Curious to know your thoughts on this. Uh, I followed up. I asked, good question, good topic idea. What are examples that come to mind? Graham continued, "Uh, there's a case to be made for hobbyists in music production software, for example. They know how to write a song, and if the software keeps changing, it actually subtracts from their experience because they have to relearn stuff. Another follow-up tweet came from Graham saying, a few examples also come to mind. Something like a writing or notes app where it's more powerful to build muscle memory than getting used to new features like IA Writer or utility apps like a white noise generator. And then we also got a little tweet in here from another listener, it looks like. Bajan Jansik. hope I didn't butcher that too bad, says, I think great examples are the Reddits and Craigslist of the world, where the user base is so against the change that it would almost make them leave the platform. Okay,
0: so TLDR, Marshall, Yeah, can software ever be finished? Good question. Depends on the software. And I think Graham's uh-huh. kind of uh set us up here really nicely with, with this kind of dichotomy of how software can go. Like, there are some things that need to evolve that you need to keep adding features to them, either because they were incomplete to begin with or you need to keep them new whatever that happens to be but there's other software that will as graham says not benefit from that actually you have it as a detriment if you change things add things move things that's bad and the users will revolt for one reason or another either because it's super hard to learn or because they don't like the look of it <laughs> you know they don't want yeah. their thing to change which leads to an interesting little side note of We see something similar to this in in the movie industry of of fans of a thing feeling like they own the thing. Star Wars comes to mind of like Uh George Lucas fucked up Star Wars. Like, how dare you? We, the fans, Uh own it to the guy who invented Star Wars. Like he created (laughs) the thing like you fucked it up. It was ours. Like there is that mentality and it's a very real thing. And I think it exists around software as well. It's, It's like, no, this is what my website looks like. Stop messing with my website. It's mine. You know. Yeah.
1: But I find there's an interesting tension there where fashion also changes. And I feel like you see this most often with OS level changes, like when macOS gets a fresh coat of paint, Big Sur being the most recent example, where people either love the visual refresh or really hate it. And it's a classic move my cheese problem, right? Yeah. Like the things that I'm used to looking at and interacting with that had the just right amount of contrast that my eyes got used to over the last decade no longer have those same characteristics or properties and things are in different places
0: and i have to relearn how to use the tool that i use every day
1: and that can be really frustrating
0: yeah i mean i think we've run into this as designers if you use figma or if you use sketch like the things that you become accustomed to change and they sometimes need to change to be better right auto layout is a really good example of this like we had auto Layout V2, and now we're on V3, and a lot changed. Basically, everything changed between V2 and V3, and you had to relearn it from scratch. But it's a way better feature now, so how do you weigh It's that? a way
1: better feature, but there's more UI, and there's more learning that has to happen.
0: More utility is what I was trying to get at. Like It, it, yeah. it does more now, but yeah,
1: it is more complicated. Here's the cycle, Marshall, if I think about this at the macro level. like a beautiful, simple product emerges that solves some very simple problem for a handful of people. And then more people want a couple tweaks and this product finds a slightly larger market and solves slightly more problems. And the snowball rolls and grows and continues and then you end up with, I don't know, the logics of the world or the blenders of the world or the photoshops of the world where it is just Button soup, but some people figure out like which of those buttons they care about the most, right? Mm-hmm. And then a few years pass and along comes this new contender who simplifies and abstracts and makes the thing really fast and intuitive. And everyone's like, oh, wow, what a breath of fresh air, right? This is Figma, maybe three, four five years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's the subset of the buttons I care about from this big application, just in yeah. a single application, just those buttons, yeah.
1: Yeah. And the cycle repeats, right? Like Figma continues to solve more and more problems and they're trying to find the way to do that as elegantly as possible so that the product doesn't get bloated, so that the product remains fast. But honestly, there's more loading states that I've noticed in Figma, like Files are taking longer to load because there's more things that it has to support. And I feel like this is just the continual wave that we will always see like the aggregation of lots of jobs being solved by one piece of software that suddenly gets split into multiple products that solve each of those jobs individually much better in a more simple interface with a faster interaction. And then those individual products will just sort of grow and aggregate more features until they go through that that cycle themselves.
0: Yeah, right. I, I think you need to coin this, Brian. I, I don't know what is this the eleven oh, cycle or, or is it? The, <laughs> I think the... this
1: has already been coined probably like oh, okay. economists at some point,
0: right? I don't know. Plant your flag in it, Brian.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we have the Bach constant, right? Mm-hmm. Or the Bach Box constant, Yeah. Bach's constant, which is people don't fucking read. Yeah. I think Levin's Law is kind of nice. Oh, Get a little alliteration in there. Yeah, Levin's Law. Okay, I like it. Although, i got to say, I don't think this feels original. But it would be something like everything simple eventually becomes so complex that it gets replaced by something simple again. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, know. This right. needs some yeah. refinement, right? <laughs> yeah, I think you're close. But yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: This is a legitimate thing that actually happens. We've been part of it before. So, yeah. Yeah, how do you continue to evolve your product, meet your users' needs and maintain simplicity, maintain ease of onboarding for new users? Like I think that's what really becomes the thing is like not just the existing users having to learn new things. It's the gaming controller problem. I, everything always goes back to gaming for me, Brian, but like it's the gaming controller problem. If you picked up a game controller in 1988 or whatever, it like a Nintendo Entertainment System thing. You had up, down, left, right, select, start, and A and B. And that's it. Uh-huh. If you uh-huh. pick up a PlayStation 5 controller today, it is incomprehensible. There is so much going on. It's still got all that original shit, plus like 10 times more things you can do including gyroscope shit with like six axis and like springy triggers and shoulder buttons Uh there's just so much shit going on you can't pick it up today and feel confident as a new user that you're gonna it's almost prohibitive to new users you know so how, how do you avoid that as you grow
1: yeah i mean like part of this is just backwards compatibility problems right like i feel like The reason that we still have a lot of those features on a game controller or most of the features that we see in software today, a lot of it is just for backwards compatibility, right? Like people bought a game five years ago. Presumably they should be able to play that game today. But it's been interesting to see that backwards compatibility time frame shrink over time, right? Yep. I think Apple is okay at this where the latest versions of iOS will go all the way back and support perhaps like a iPhone 6 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But even if you think about that, that's like what, 8 years of supported hardware? Yeah. Which is not a lot.
0: And that's an eternity in technology years, but yeah. It's
1: yeah, yeah. But like factor in all the iOS versions, factor in all the app versions, factor in the uh, evolution of the programming languages, right? Like Objective C, Swift, Swift UI, like all this stuff has emerged. I actually wonder, even if you had the most simple app, like uh, I think the example Graham put here was like a white noise generator, even if it's feature complete, it probably can't last more than 10 years without some sort of change, right? One, because it will probably be running on platforms that people no longer use, like super old versions of iOS. You would have to update the app to run on later versions of iOS but also like the hardware will evolve where perhaps these things aren't even compatible with old chips, right? Like we're going to go through this evolution of the M1 Max from Intel. Mm -hmm. And at some point, like, I don't know, they'll have to maintain backwards compatibility for some amount of Intel apps, but not everyone. And the apps that don't change and evolve are just going to be dead. Maybe software could be finished but I don't think it will last forever. And just as a thought exercise, uh, this isn't original for me. I saw this posed by someone else perhaps on Twitter. It was something like, how would you make a website that you knew could exist 100 years from now? And if you really think about that question, it is very, very hard to answer. How would you ensure that some website content will be available for people 100 years from now. Your great-grandchildren. Yeah. For example, even just the basic stuff, right? Like where is that website hosted? What is the domain name it's available at? Who is paying for that domain name 100 years uh, from now? Because domain names are rented. They're not purchased, right? You pay a subscription fee for them, and some registry owns that name. I don't even know how this works, but you don't buy it. Not to mention hosting whatever the the files will be, even if you went all the way back down to the most root primitive web document, like just an HTML file that says hello world, that has to be hosted somewhere. And that host would need to exist for 100 years. And we know that most companies don't exist for 100 years. Uh, so you could maybe try it on, okay, I'll throw it on Amazon. I bet Amazon will be around for 100 years. Yeah, but will the service that you put it on be around for 100 years? Will we still be using Amazon S3 and CloudFront and all this S3 services 100 years from now? Yeah. I I don't know. And so, yeah, it's really hard to imagine how we can build software in a way that it's finished and long-lived. I feel like in order to be long-lived, it has to be considered unfinished at all times. Otherwise,
0: where does it go? Or at least you have to not consider maintenance part of finishing it <laughs>
1: you know? yeah, okay oh, yeah yeah maybe maybe that's a useful distinction Maintenance versus adding new features.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, how many companies that existed in the 20th century no longer exist right yeah. like yeah. Um, like you' were saying Amazon, like yeah maybe maybe that'll exist, but if you watch uh, Blade Runner, there's a huge ad in the beginning when they're doing the big city fly-through. There's a huge ad for Pan Am, which is like an airline that no uh-huh. longer exists. Uh-huh. And it's kind of funny to see it. Like, yeah. if you go back and watch Iron Man, the first Iron Man movie, Tony at the very beginning of the movie makes a reference to MySpace unironically. Aged super well. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's not an old movie. Like, Blade Runner is kind of old, but like, Iron Man's pretty recent. 2008. Yeah. Yeah. It's already or- irrelevant. So, yeah, how could you possibly stay on top of these things? And it just makes me think about like, if the internet blew up tomorrow, when we rebuilt it, inevitably, mm. what would we rebuild first? Mm. And mm-hmm. those are these kind of slots for our expectations of what the internet provides to us. And you know, the MySpace thing, like it was Friendster before that, and then MySpace, and then Facebook, right? So, like, there will always be a company that fills that slot. The logo may change, right? Yeah. but uh-huh. but the human need for that thing uh, is a constant. So
1: to bring that home to to Graham's point, it reminds me of. I guess that this is Facebook lore, but it, when you go to visit Facebook's campus at Menlo Park, they have a big sign that has the Facebook thumbs up like button icon. Mm-hmm. But on the back of it is the Sun Microsystems logo. Mm-hmm. And the story there is something along the lines of they kept the original Sun Microsystems logo because it used to be the Sun Microsystems campus. mm mm-hmm. As a reminder that big things do crumble. Mm-hmm. At some point, Sun Microsystems was the darling of Silicon Valley and was worth like hundreds of billions of dollars. And now it is gone. It doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is the spirit of the software world we live in. Like nothing is permanent. We should expect all things to change and to assume that we could build software once and have it exists forever i think is perhaps naive so maybe yeah features you could get away with not adding them for a while but the market will probably figure out a way to be better than you but without at least maintenance i just don't see a way to avoid this like constant evolution of of working on software
0: another point to that too is like in order to be in maintenance only mode you have to have a rabid community, a, just a super enthusiastic and involved user base that cares about your product very, very much. Otherwise, that's just stagnance and you die, right? Like you have to keep swimming, otherwise, otherwise, you die. So, new features, better versions of existing features, new things to make it easy for new people to come in, but also exciting for people who've been there forever. Takes advantage of the latest hardware, makes it faster, on and on. Anyways, we got off topic a little bit there, but uh, can software ever be finished? Depends, but usually no. I think I that's no. the answer. Yeah. I say no, as long unless you're comfortable with that software dying at some point, or it has the flywheel of the community has such a strong momentum that it will self-sustain with just a little bit of maintenance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but great question. Yeah, great question, Graham. I hope we answered
1: it in the way you had in mind. Let us know. All right, cool things time. Cool things. What you got? Oh, I'm so excited for this one. <laughs> me too. I think I finished this like literally right after we recorded last week. So we had to save it for a whole week, yeah. right? Yep. And that is Project Hail Mary, the latest book from Andy Weir, famously the author of The Martian. Correct. And Marshall, we finished this within hours of each other.
0: Yeah, you started it way before me and then I caught up and passed yeah. you right at the end.
1: Yeah, you're an aggressive
0: audiobook listener,
1: uh, but it was really fun to finish around the same time. We were texting each other our reactions as we finished. I was also texting other people, Sam Sophus, like he and I also had a similar thread. He was giving me updates as he got towards the finish line, and we had these like ending reactions. So there was already this like cool social thing happening as I was reading this book. But yeah, man, I I don't know what else to say. I think if you like sci-fi, if you liked The Martian. If you like this predictable flow of problem, discovery, solution, where the solution creates a new problem that has to have new discovery that leads to a new solution, that cycle that propels the plot forward to a beautiful conclusion in this case, uh, you're going to love Project Hail Mary. I don't know. I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to even really tee it up, except it's near future sci-fi along the lines of The Martian, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's thematically very much like The Martian. If you liked that vibe, you'll mm-hmm. like this. But it does something very different within that vibe. I, I want to spoil it so bad, but I can't, Brian.
1: Yeah. Well, here, here we. I can make this recommendation. If you haven't started it yet, go audiobook. Um, I think the written version, printed version, would be fine. But the narrator that they got for the Audible version of this, Ray Porter did a phenomenal job. And as you will find when you encounter certain characters in the book, the audio version handles the way the characters speak in such a beautiful, interesting, creative way. And of course there's accents and just like comedic timing that comes through all of this. And I
0: think the Audible version really added a lot to the story. So I would highly recommend going that way. Cool thing, Brian. I, I can't recommend it enough. Yes. Do the audiobook version. It is the way to go. Highly recommended.
1: Movie in the works also.
0: Yeah. Starring... Ryan Gosling. Brian Gosling. Yep. Is it Gosling or Gosling? Gosling. I don't know. Is he a tiny goose or is it... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go with Gosling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool thing, Brian. All right. How about you? Hit me. Uh, my cool thing is an update about my smart home stuff. So... The newest addition to my setup is I have purchased a Raspberry Pi, which is a little computer device thing, which I was very scared of before. It's like, oh, I have to program a computer. I don't know how to do that. But the nice thing about this is there is a Raspberry Pi image that you can download and basically flash the drive with this image. And it will install everything exactly how you would want it set up to send all of your smart home stuff to HomeKit so you can access it through the Home app on your iPhone. It is a godsend, Brian. The thing runs in the background all the time. I previously had a Mac mini dedicated to it, but it would like restart periodically and do updates and stuff and just fuck up my whole situation. So going to a Raspberry Pi that just stays on all the time has been really nice. It's just a set it and forget it thing. And it just works perfectly. So the one I picked up that you can get it on Amazon, it was like I got the higher end one It was like eight gigabytes of RAM it comes in two, four and eight, but anywhere from 90 to 120 bucks. So like not breaking the bank, uh, it's not cheap or anything, but it was a good solution for my situation. Partly because I've added a bunch of stuff to my setup throughout COVID, my partner has gotten really into plants and she has taken over a good half of the house with plants. So a lot Mm -hmm. of those are plugged Uh into outlets that I can now turn on and turn off at will through the HomeKit with like a smart plug. I also added some like security cameras and a bunch of Hue lights and stuff for my office setup that I think we covered on a previous episode with my door-mounted on-air light, I think is what we called it. Anyways, HomeKit is a lot better now. So using that has been great because you can get at it through Control Center real easy, just pulling down from the top but all of that to say it's made my life a lot easier to, to just get this thing raspberry pi set it up it was like a day of beating my head against the wall partly that was my <laughs> uh-huh. fault because i'm stupid Partly uh-huh. it was its, its fault because it's kind of a complicated thing but if you have the wherewithal to, to work through the some troubleshooting yeah yeah exactly if you have some patience
1: yeah it sounds very complicated but we'll have links in the show notes to what you've put in our notes the yeah raspberry yeah. pi exact model as well as like how to connect all this stuff with HomeBridge. Good luck. Let me know if you uh, attempt Godspeed it. for those of you making a house as smart as Marshalls. Uh-huh. Well, awesome. This has been episode 400. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter, at DesignDetailsFM. You've listened to all 400 episodes. You mad person, you. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet at us. Love hearing from people. Uh, if this is your first time listening, or even if you've been a longtime supporter, and you want to support the show as well as get access to a bonus episode every single week called the sidebar, Side, sidebar. you can consider supporting us at patreon.com design details in this week's sidebar we talk all about money money how to make it how to save it how to invest it how to plan for it and more so once again that's patreon.com design details just about a month. Just about a month. Just a buck a
0: month.
1: All right. Thanks everyone for listening and for joining us on this journey to 400 episodes. That's it. We'll see you next week.
0: Bye. need to do like the most epic bye mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah. Okay. Bye. <laughs> it's almost like a Doppler thing like bye. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh wow.
1: Marshall we've never played with this effect before. Why, why are we just now discovering <laughs> that there's all sorts of funny things we can do? <laughs>